A blessed Sunday, brothers and sisters in Christ. It is good to be back preaching God's Word to all of you today, especially as the Christmas season is nearing and under better circumstances. Indeed, it is a great privilege for me, and I am grateful to our Lord for the opportunity to study His Word and to be able to share them to you, my UECP family. I'm especially excited to be able to start us off with a new series, a series in an Old Testament book uh, a majority of us are probably unfamiliar with. It is the first book of the Minor Prophets, Hosea. And when I say Minor Prophets, please do not think that they are less important because they are as important and their message holds the same weight as the major prophets. They are only called minor prophets because they carry less weight in pages, which means they are shorter than the major prophets. Now, ever since we started this goal of going through all the books of the Bible before our 100th anniversary, we have preached through several Old Testament prophetic books. And I can't decide which prophet to consider the most unfortunate. We know that Jonah was thrown from a boat and eaten by a fish. Ezekiel was told to shave his head and act like a crazy person. Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern. Daniel into a lion's den. But on my top three most unfortunate prophet, if not number one, is the prophet Hosea. He was called by God to marry a promiscuous woman who will surely be unfaithful to him. That's why I always thank God that I'm just a pastor and not a prophet. Yes, you heard me right. God commanded Hosea to marry someone promiscuous and unfaithful. Let us read about it in Hosea chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beeri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name 
not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. May God bless the reading of His Word. To love the unfaithful, that is my title for today. Now, why would God command Hosea to do such a thing? You know, God has a purpose, and we will talk about it later. But now, let me give you a little background on Hosea and his ministry. Hosea served as God's prophet around 8th to 7th century BC, during the divided kingdom. Hosea is one of only two prophets included in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, which was called to prophesy to the northern kingdom, Israel. The prophet Amos was the other one. And in verse 1 of Hosea, it tells us that Hosea ministered specifically during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And if you are familiar with Israel's history under the divided kingdom, unlike the southern kingdom Judah, who had a few good kings among many evil kings, the northern kingdom was all downhill after the split having one evil king after another. They killed God's prophets, led the people to worship idols, and break God's covenant laws. And so, God's judgment came early against the northern kingdom. And that is probably why there were fewer prophets who had a chance to minister to them. And that is why I think Hosea really had it bad as compared to the other Old Testament prophets. And that is also why God has to take such drastic measure as to command Hosea to do such a horrifying thing as to marry a promiscuous woman who will be unfaithful to him. It is because to show how horrible the nation of Israel has become. Let us read again verse 2 to 3, Hosea 1 verse 2 to 3, it says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, some English translation uses the the term prostitute instead of the wife, uh, instead of wife of whoredom. But let me tell you briefly that in the original language, the Hebrew word used is not the same as the word prostitute, as in the profession. But rather, it means more as having a prostitute's attitude, being promiscuous, unfaithful, an adulterer. And you might think, how would Hosea be able to find such a woman? I mean, how could he possibly know if a person is promiscuous and unfaithful? But you see, it tells us the state of the northern kingdom. 
during the time of Hosea, it was not hard to find such a woman because all of them are both men and women. This was the level of wickedness the northern kingdom has fallen into. And that is what God wants the people to realize, that they have all become hoarse by forsaking the Lord and following their idols. Hosea's dysfunctional relationship with his wife is a reflection of Israel's dysfunctional relationship to God. Chapter 2 describes the unfaithfulness of Israel through the unfaithful acts of Gomer, Hosea's wife. It says, For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. Gomer's lovers here are actually Israel's idols. And ever since King Ahab and Jezebel ruled the northern kingdom, Baal has become Israel's national idol. You see, Baal was the weather god. He was known as the god of rainfall, fertility, productivity, and life. And that is why Israel, being an agrarian nation whose main industry is agriculture, is attracted to such an idol. They forget that it is actually God who are providing all these things to them. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Also, ritual prostitution was practiced in the worship of Baal. And so we can see here that the Israelites were becoming more and more like the God they serve. Truly, the wickedness of the people has passed beyond unimaginable levels. But what matters most is how the Lord, the supposed true God of the Israelites, who rescued them from Egypt and gave them their land, thinks about it. The one true God who, who they made a covenant with. You see, He was at the receiving end of the people's unfaithfulness. And God wants them to know what He feels. That is why God commanded Hosea to marry an unfaithful wife so that the people would understand how the Lord feels about their idolatry and their idolatrous ways. You know, I do believe that our world today is not far, or probably already on the same level as the wickedness of Israel. Many people do not bow down to carven images anymore, but many have made themselves their own gods and idols. They worship themselves and they do what they want and whatever makes them happy. They do not care what God or what other people might feel, which is why many of them are unfaithful to one another. And I'm sure that some of you listening to me right now have been at the receiving end of other people's unfaithfulness as well. Maybe you have experienced your spouse cheating on you. Maybe you have been betrayed by a business partner or a friend or even a family member. 
If you haven't, then good for you. But I know you are familiar with the feeling because there are so many TV shows having the themes of infidelity, of unfaithfulness. And so I'm sure that we all know the feeling of being cheated on and the feeling of betrayal. And we can all agree that it is not a pleasant one. It is painful, insulting, degrading. Well, in Hosea, God is telling the people that is how God feels when we have idols in our lives. He's insulted, he is offended, he is angry. Listen to what he has to say when his people who have experienced his power and seen his glory go after idols. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11 to 12, he says, Has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Here, pagan nations worship fake gods and they are faithful to their idols. But Israel, who has a special relationship with the one true God, yet they replace him with idols. It is unthinkable, appalling. And he wants his unfaithful people to know how it feels so that they will see the gravity of their own sins. How about us? Are we doing the same thing to God? Do we have idols in our lives? Are we committing spiritual adultery against God? Idols are not always in the form of other gods that people worship apart from the Lord. Idols are anything we put above God in our lives. It can be our money, our family, our children, our careers, our businesses. It can also be ourselves. We can make ourselves our idols. When we put anything or anyone above or equal in priority with God, then they are the idols in our lives. And God is definitely not happy with them. And as we have just learned, it is a serious offense against God. So, what should we do? We should carefully examine ourselves if we have any idols in our lives. Is there anything or anyone we put above God? If you are not sure, the best place to check is where we spend our money, our time, and our efforts in. When we neglect God in place of these things, there is a big chance they are our idols. And God wants us to realize the seriousness of our idolatry through Hosea's relationship with his wayward wife. He wants Israel to know and us to know that idolatry is adultery against God. Idolatry is adultery against God. This is the message of Hosea chapter 1. And now that we understand why God would take such length as to command Hosea to marry a promiscuous wife who will be unfaithful to him, just to teach us that our idolatry is adultery against God, we must now understand the consequences of Israel's idolatry. And God shows the consequences of Israel's idolatry through the names of Gomer's children. 
Gomer bore three children. Among the three, the author was clear that the first one was indeed Hosea, Hosea's child. But when it comes to the second and third child, the author was a bit ambiguous, which makes it possible that they were not. In verse 2, the children were called children of whoredom. And in Hosea chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, it says, Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. Which makes it even more probable that they were not illegitimate, uh, they were not legitimate children. This tells us more about Hosea's relationship with Gomer. They started out right, but then as time passes by, Gomer became unfaithful to Hosea and started going after other men. This also reflects Israel's relationship with the Lord. They started out right, but then they turned away from the Lord and started worshiping idols. And I think this should also be a warning to us because we might think, that we are faithful to God now. But we shouldn't be arrogant to think that we will not turn away from God in the future. We must always keep our hearts in check. But the focus here is not on the legitimacy of the children, but on the names that God gave them. Their names serve as prophecy of God's coming judgment to Israel for their adultery against Him. You know, we all know that children are gifts from God. They are the fruit of our love and commitment with our spouses, a blessing from God. You know, my wife and I just had our third child three weeks ago, our second daughter. We named her Emma Priscilla. You know, one of the most exciting experiences for expecting parents is to think of names for their child. They want the most beautiful names with the best meanings or stories for their children, hoping that those meanings, the meaning of their names and the stories of their names will become true in their children's lives as well. I chose the name Priscilla for my daughter. I actually don't know what it means, but I chose it because Priscilla is a name from the New Testament. Priscilla was a faithful follower of Christ a co-worker of Paul, and a woman who was committed to the gospel. And that is my, also my hope for my youngest daughter, to be a faithful follower of Christ, a co-worker in the gospel, committed fully to sharing it to others. But here, with Hosea's children, aside from the first one, the other two had very unpleasant names. I told you, Hosea was probably the most unfortunate prophet. Because just as children are, a fruit, are, are fruits of our marital love and commitment, they can also be a consequence of sin. And in Hosea and Gomer's case, they were. Not only of Gomer's adultery, but Israel's idolatry. God commanded Hosea to name their first child Jezreel, which literally means the Lord sows. S-O-W-S, the Lord sows. Metaphorically, it means the Lord judges. God named the child Jezreel to warn Israel and its king of the coming judgment 
against him and the whole nation. Jezreel is also a name of a place in the northern kingdom. Jezreel was, in fact, the capital of the northern kingdom where many violent acts were committed by former kings, which the term blood of Jezreel in verse 4 probably alludes to. And in verse 5, God says, And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. This prophecy points to Israel's eventual demise in the hands of the Assyrians, where the battle was lost in the valley of Jezreel. God warns them of this punishment for their idolatry. And just so you know, to be conquered by another nation is the worst punishment for a nation. This is the consequence of their idolatry. The second child was given the name Lo-Ruhama in Hebrew, which literally means no mercy, pointing that during the time of judgment, God will show no mercy to Israel. The whole nation will be completely destroyed by the Assyrians, and it happened. Israel fell to Assyria in 722 B.C. And the third child was named not my people, because you are not my people, and I am not your God. You know, we usually pity kids with very hard and long names, but this kid tops them all. He, ha- he has probably the longest name in Israel. And not only that, it was a very, very sad name. His name points back to God's covenant with Israel established in Exodus, the Mosaic Covenant. It stipulates that the Lord will be their God and, the Israel, and Israel will be His people. But the child's name tells the people the reversal, reversal of that covenant, implicating that the covenant has been dissolved. Israel's special relationship with God is broken. Israel has gone past the point of no return. They have cut themselves off from God because of their idolatry. Brothers and sisters, idolatry is adultery against God. And just as adultery destroys relationships, our spiritual adultery against God with our idols destroys our relationship with Him. This is the grave consequence of our idolatry. So you think it's okay going to temples, bowing down, praying, and offering food to idols and our dead ancestors, you think all of them means nothing? You are dead wrong. You are committing adultery against God, and you are breaking covenant with Him. Just like adultery leaves an indelible mark in any relationship, our idolatry against God leaves an indelible mark in our relationship with Him. The prophet Daniel and his three friends knew the gravity of idolatry and they would rather be eaten by lions or be burned in the furnace than to commit adultery against the Lord. Let this be a warning to all those who are committing adultery against their spouses. And let this be a greater warning for all of us God's people who are threading in idolatry. God is serious. He means business. There are consequences to our idolatry. 
If you take adultery seriously, then take your idolatry even more seriously because idolatry is adultery against a holy God and the consequences will be severe. And during the time of Hosea's ministries, these prophecies only served as a warning. But as history continues to unfold, the people of the northern kingdom did not repent. And if you read through the book of 2 Kings, you will know that all these judgment against them came to pass. They were cut off from the land and they were conquered by Assyria, the sign that their conditional covenant with God in Mount Sinai has been nullified because of their continued idolatry. The Mosaic Covenant, which stipulates Israel's special relationship with the Lord, was broken. But this was not the end of Hosea's prophecy. As Hosea's third child heralds the demise of the Mosaic Covenant with sad minor tones, a familiar tune starts to play in the background. You know, in movies, when all hope seems lost, then there is a sad music. But the music then starts to change into a familiar one, the theme of the hero. And then he comes to save the day. In Star Wars, when you hear, you know something great is about to happen. Here in Hosea, it was the tune of another covenant, one more ancient than the Mosaic covenant. It was not the sound of the conditional covenant between God and Israel that was just broken. In its ashes, it was the, the music of the unconditional covenant of God made with their forefather Abraham continues to uh, suddenly place. It was that covenant when he believed everything God promised to him. It sang in Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Yes, this was the unconditional covenant God made with Abraham way back in Genesis when he puts Abraham to deep sleep so that only God will walk between the dead carcasses of the animals, signifying that God is making that covenant with Abraham and it was unconditional. It did not depend on Abraham nor his descendants' obedience or faithfulness. It only depended on God's faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, if you don't know by now, let me tell you, our Lord is always faithful. And with that covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, God heralds the restoration of His wayward bride, Israel. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 10 to 11, it says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves 
one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. You see, God promises that He will restore Israel as His children. And He will bring reconciliation between the divided kingdom, between the north and the south. He will unite them under one leader, one head. And that one head, brothers and sisters, has already come 2,000 years ago. And that head told another woman whose ancestry points back to the old northern kingdom, a woman with promiscuous background, an adulterer like Gomer, a Samaritan. And he told her, Woman, believe the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The woman knew that He was referring to the Messiah. And then He revealed to her that He is the Messiah. Dun, 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 dun. You see, the hero has come. Brothers and sisters, you probably know who I am talking about, but let me tell you anyway, his name is Jesus. And he was the head that God promised through Hosea to unite the people of God and reconcile them back to God and to his children once again. He was the ultimate fulfillment to the unconditional Abrahamic covenant. Such a dramatic and glorious end to a sad prophecy. Such a great story, such a wonderful book the Bible is. If anyone says the scriptures are boring, they probably haven't read it. You know, I get overly excited when I encounter these things in the scriptures. But let me get back to the point. Indeed, idolatry is adultery against God. And therefore, it is a great offense against God with great consequences. But these prophecies were handed down to us for us not to give up and not lose hope. There is a chance to repent, to go back to God, to turn away from idolatry. And He has provided the way. The one that offers the living water that leads to eternal life. He offers forgiveness, restoration, and a new life free from the clutches of idolatry. You see, brothers and sisters, the solution to idolatry is Jesus. To win back his adulterous wife, God poured out his love for her by giving her his only son to love her, to die for her, to give her new life. And brothers and sisters, bring your idols to Jesus and you will see that all of them will fail to compare to Him. Bring your idols to Jesus and they will all crumble to nothing. Bring your idols to Jesus and they will become shadows 
in His presence. Bring your idols to Jesus and in Paul's terms, you will realize that these idols are rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, let us not take idolatry lightly. It is a serious offense against God. Idolatry is adultery against God and will bring grave consequences. But you see, our unfaithfulness will never overcome God's faithfulness. Let me repeat that. Our unfaithfulness to God will never overcome God's faithfulness. Despite us being unfaithful to Him, He remains faithful to us because He is faithful to Himself and to His Word. And He has already brought us a solution to our idolatry, Jesus Christ. Through Christ, God has won us back. All we need to do is put our trust in Jesus, lay down our idols before Him, and He will turn them into what they really are, worthless rubbish. UECP, let's take our our idolatry against God seriously because idolatry is adultery against God. So surrender your idols to Jesus now. Don't wait. Don't, let, don't keep your idols. Don't keep them in your life. Surrender them to Jesus. And He will crush them all for you. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we cannot help but be horrified in the command that you gave Hosea to take for himself a wayward wife who will betray him, who will be unfaithful to him. Yet, Lord, we are reminded today that we should be horrified more with our idols. The idols that we keep in our lives, the idols that we bow down to, that we pray, that we rely on, We should be horrified by them because through them, Lord, we are committing adultery against you. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our many idols. Forgive us if we do bow down to carven images. Forgive us, Lord, if we make ourselves, our family, or anything else in this world a priority equal to you or more than you. Forgive us. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for reminding us, Lord, that even in our unfaithfulness, you remain faithful to us. Thank you, Lord. We do not deserve a God like you. But Lord, today we would like to surrender our idols before our Savior. The one you gave us to, the Savior you gave us to win us back, to show us your great love for us. We bring down our idols before Him so that we will see that they are merely rubbish to His surpassing greatness. Lord, help us to surrender our idols. We don't want to commit spiritual adultery anymore against You. We lay down our idols before You. May You crush them 
and makes us realize that they are nothing. And help us to worship the one true God who is worthy of worship. And that is you. All this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen and Amen.